0: the account of the parable of the wedding feast. And in this, frankly, I don't know how else to put it, uh, very, 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 very sobering parable where the king, the wedding is ready. The celebration is ready. And he sends out his servants to call those who have been invited to the wedding. And they shrug it off, they dismiss it, or they even kill His servants. And the King sends out His soldiers and kills those people, destroys their city, and then invites everyone in the byways and pathways and roads and streets to come to the wedding. And the wedding hall is filled. But there is that one fellow in the hall who is not wearing the appropriate wedding garment. Which is the least thing that a guest could do. You're coming to a, a sumptuous banquet. The least you could do is dress properly in the presence of your king at the wedding feast for his son. And this fellow, he came... But he wasn't dressed appropriately. And it was a custom that everyone knew. It wasn't a mistake. In the sense that he did not know. He just didn't value what was happening. As he ought to have. And the outcome for him was. The king said to the servants. Bind him hand and foot. Take him away. And cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping. And gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. The invitation has gone out to all of humanity. But who comes? When I was a teenager, and I had finally gotten (laughs) drawn into A deeper relationship with Christ I think I was already a believer from the time I was in first grade when I raised my hand in the child evangelist fellowship meeting I wanted a white heart but it was 10 years later before I got drawn into a fellowship of believers that actually taught the word of God and it was somewhere around there I was 17 or 18 years old and I read these last three verses from the prophet Isaiah and I was horrified. This is the description of the eternal reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Amen, yes. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, All flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And they shall go forth and look upon the corpses of the men who have transgressed against me, for their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. They shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. And I recoiled... I remember exactly the thought that went through my mind. Yuck! Who would want to do that? The more I have studied God's Word, the longer I've worked in this. I've, I've walked with 50 plus years since then. That does not horrify me now. Because I've come to a deeper more complete understanding of god's holiness of god's incessant love for me that invited me and invited me and invited me and invited me to the wedding feast our god cannot be unjust he can be merciful And He can be just. He cannot be unjust. It is outside of the realm of His being. Lucifer and all fallen creatures, angels and men, can be unjust. We can be unfair. God cannot be unfair. And so as we come out of the New Jerusalem and we walk by, and this is depicted again, by the way, in Revelation 21 and 2, we will walk by the lake of fire. And ladies and gentlemen, we will not recoil. We will sorrow, but we will not recoil. And so as we re- read this wedding parable of the wedding feast, I was reminded of that Isaiah passage because our God those who have entrusted themselves to Christ, those who have allowed God to wrap His arms around them and welcome them into His kingdom, we can say, thank you, God, for your love, for your mercy, that you tracked me down, you drew me, you sent me the invitation, and then you sent out your servants, and they called and called. But in this parable of the wedding feast, many of those, those servants were some of the responses were to, to assault them and to kill them what was the experience of God's prophets through the ages the Jewish people even sought to kill Moses they did kill Jeremiah they did kill Isaiah that many of the prophets were literally murdered Because of their standing and telling the truth to the people. Just a couple of weeks ago, and you may have seen, if you're on Facebook, you may have seen this, uh, I believe it was Jews for Jesus. One of those, here is this fellow presenting his testimony. One of the top geniuses on planet Earth. And how when he's now in his, I'd say his 60s, when he was in his 20s, he went to Harvard and was confronted with the gospel. Jewish fellow from from Manhattan was confronted with the gospel and when he was 22 years old he bowed the knee in his dorm room and, and gave himself to Jesus called his parents and the immediate response of his mother over the phone was well that Jesus deserved to be crucified look at how he mistreated those poor rabbis look at the bad things he said about them it was about 30 years later, she called him after she had read through the entire Bible twice and said, I've become a Christian. (laughs) I've become a Christian. I saw God's mercy. What Jesus is describing here is really a picture of how God's spokesmen have been treated generation after generation after generation. By the Israeli people, as we've already noted in Matthew's gospel, the closer Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the more the opposition increases. When he's out on the edges of Israel and even into Gentile he's, he receives nothing but an, he receives an unrestrained welcome. But the closer he gets to Jerusalem, that where the Jewish leadership is, the opposition increases and increases and increases. And so Jesus is told this parable of the wedding feast, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him with in his talk. Here's a part of the Jewish leadership, and what are they doing? Jesus has presented literally thousands of proofs to them of who he is. He's cleansed lepers, he's healed the sick. He's raised the dead. He's done all of these incredible miracles. Here is evidence upon evidence upon evidence upon evidence, but they're not interested in the evidence because they just see him as a threat to their position. And they've gone out and tried to trip him up and trip him. They've asked him question after question after question, and they end up running away with their tail between their legs every single time. And so here they come again. (laughs) a desperate attempt to get Jesus to trip over his words. Verse 15, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, now let's stop for a second. Pharisees, Herodians, Herod Antipas is the king of, of the Jews he's not a Jew he's an Edomite if there's anybody politically that I mean they do not like they don't like it's the Herodians but because of their common opposition to Jesus these two elements that despise each other have come together And oh, by the way, why are the Herodians there? Because they're going to challenge Jesus about Rome. And they want witnesses there who can take the word to Herod Antipas so they can concoct an accusation against Jesus. So the Pharisees have brought some Herodians with them. And they said, teacher, we know that you are true. (laughs) and teach the way of God in truth. They have never said truer words in their lives, but they don't mean one, one syllable of it. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. What was the principal motivation for being a Pharisee? You wanted personal regard. You wanted other people to bow the knee to you. You do not regard the person of men. Therefore, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, that's why they've got the Herodians. They want to have these witnesses who will then take the word to Herod, who will then take the word to Pontius Pilate. Here is this fellow who's a rebel against Roman authority. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said... Why do you test me, you hypocrites? You who wear a mask over your face, pretending to be one thing, when underneath the mask you are entirely different. Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, in every nation where the Jewish people have ever lived, when they were in Egypt under the reign of Pharaoh, they traded in Egypt. They didn't rebel against Pharaoh until Moses came and delivered them and God yanked them away from. They've always, when they they were a conquered people, They gave, you know, they didn't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar or the others too much. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. Don't steal from anybody. Even rank pagans. You give them the regard that they are due. (sighs) When they heard these things, they marveled in exasperation and left him and went their way that plot didn't work the same day the Sadducees the absolute opposite of the Pharisees the Pharisees came to him and asked him saying teacher hypocrisy Moses said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. It's called leveret marriage. So that your brother, your deceased brother, will have someone to carry on his name. That was in the law of Moses. Now there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother, likewise the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? Hardy, har, har. For they all had her. Now, the thing you need to know about the Sadducees, that every initial reader of Matthew's Gospel knew, is the Sadducees didn't believe there was a kingdom of God coming. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed that when you died, you died like a dog. And by the way, that meant you were totally out of God's reach. They did not believe in an eternal kingdom at all. And one of the things they did to justify this or try to to justify that position, is hey, we only believe the five books of Moses Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and there is nothing in the five books of Moses about an eternal kingdom. Ha! Wrong. <laughs> and Jesus is going to point that out to them. So they think they've got Jesus, and by the way, the Pharisees cornered on this. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken. Now remember, these are the Sadducees. Among the Sadducees are the high priests, Annas and Caiaphas. They are the top of the Jewish establishment. They claim for themselves great knowledge and acumen. You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. In fact, that, that when in the marriage ceremony, one of the things we say to the people taking their vow for marriage is, Till death do us part. And that's based on this passage of scripture, by the way, that upon the death of one person or the other, in the it's making the covenant, that marriage is ended, and that leaves that other surviving person free to remarry. And so, that's and it's this passage that is the basis of that part of our worship of our. Uh, marriage oath but concerning the resurrection have you not read what now see they're saying oh okay but now he's really going to mess with them because they have said nowhere in the five books of Moses do you find anything about eternal life ah wrong but concerning the resurrection of the dead have you not read What was spoken to you by God saying now this is one of the most famous statements in the entire five books of Moses Moses sees a burning bush while he's out shepherding and he approaches that burning bush and the voice of God speaks to him from the burning bush. Take the sandals off of your feet because the place where you are standing is holy ground and he says to Moses. I, verse 32, I am, present tense, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living, which tells you what? That Abraham, who died 400 plus, excuse me, Isaac, Jacob, who died 400 plus, Isaac, who died earlier, Abraham, who died earth, I am their God, which tells you what? They're still alive. They're just not alive on planet Earth. They're alive in my presence. I am the God presently as I speak to you, Moses, of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude who are standing around heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. They go, oh, man, yeah. And the Sadducees are, going, are grinding their teeth. <laughs> we, they thought they had Jesus cornered in the same way they had cornered the Pharisees time after time after time. And I'll bet you there are a couple of Pharisees there saying, oh, how great is that? Let's take notes. Because <laughs> Jesus proved them wrong. Every time they came to Jesus in this way, they ran away. When they thought they had him cornered, no, they were, had cornered themselves. So here is the Pharisees. Here is the Herodians. Here are the Sadducees, all the principal opposition to Jesus in the Jewish culture, all of them. Again, as has already repeatedly happened in Matthew's gospel, They run away, having been defeated. Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, and folks, this is an act of desperation. I mean, I don't honestly understand them even asking this question because it is the question that every Jewish child who's gone through Bar Mitzvah, which is son of the law, Bat Mitzvah, daughter of the law, any Jewish child who has been through the basic training of what it means to be a Jew can answer this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything can be summed up in those two statements. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind. If you authentically obey that command, and you can only do that with God's help, you have an authentic relationship with God. And if you love your neighbor, if you serve your neighbor as you would yourself like to be loved, like to be served, you will be fulfilling all of the law in regard to human relationships. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We will be coming to the Lord's table. Jesus has summarized this it is wonderful guidance. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's wonderful guidance, it's also very convicting. Because which one of us has not failed in both? All of us have failed in both. But God, understanding and knowing, being fully aware of our failure, the failure of every fallen human being, every descendant of Adam, made provision. As we come to the Lord's table, Jesus will cite this. This is, from, this is 600 years before Jesus' birth. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Whew. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They shattered that covenant. They failed on both counts horribly, and so has everyone else. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Though I met every need they had. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. This is the new covenant. And what does Jesus say there at the Last Supper? This cup is the new covenant. I am initiating the new covenant prophesied of through Jeremiah I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah a new covenant I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts I will so change this is what is Jesus is pointing out with the new birth in John chapter 3 you must be born from above the Holy Spirit must take up residence in you and he must quicken, and make alive your own spirit creating a relationship between God and yourself I will put my law in their minds and write them in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall also be my people no more Shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. This is talking about ultimate kingdom glory. But it starts now. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. I will forgive. This is the contract. this is the covenant I will make with you. I will forgive. The law of Moses, the harder we try, the behinder we get. And God knows that. that was his purpose, was to show use it as a diagnostic tool to drive us to cry to him for mercy. And having cried to him for mercy, do you know what he does? He gives it to us every single time, because he loves mercy. But Jesus had to go to the cross and pay sin's penalty for us so that God would have the freedom to be merciful to us. The demands of the law have been met by Jesus' suffering on the cross. All of the lake of fire, all of the hell that you and I deserve forever and ever and ever was poured out upon Jesus. It was localized and poured out on Him on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And an unnatural darkness covered that area in the middle of the day. And then Jesus cried out, It is finished. It is paid in full. Work accomplished. Sin debt of the human race paid in full. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he dismissed his spirit into the hands of the Father. He accomplished for us what we could never have accomplished for ourselves. And as we come to this table, we are commemorating that reality with thanksgiving.